Father, we, we come to you and we pray that you would bless those at home who decided not to come to church on the Super Bowl. May you just fill them full of wisdom, bless them where they are, may their cheese dip be great and the avocado be delectable. And, and Father, we would ask that you would bless us here as well, that whatever we do to undertake and to get understanding of who you are, we ask that you would bless our efforts, that you would instill us with your Holy Spirit, just fill us to overflowing and help us to retain the information that your word tells us how we might live in these evil days. May we be those lights set on a hill, a city set on a hill, and a light that is not put under a bushel. We pray, Lord, for your insight and wisdom, and give us the words to speak. When people ask us questions uh, concerning the times in which we live and what right and wrong is, may we stand on your word and your word alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So the next question that I got that was in order is concerning orphans and widows. How do we take care of these people nowadays? Are they the same as in biblical days? So this is the theological question, but it's actually a wider question than just that. It's, shouldn't we just help everyone who is in need? Because today in our society, it it seems like we're going in the direction to just provide income to people who don't want to work, that we give them permanent housing, that we move them into it, and everybody else is supposed to take up the burden of providing for them. But I will start with orphans. Now, if you have a Bible, or if you have an electronic Bible, I'm going to go to the book of James and also the book of Proverbs. Now, in the book of James, chapter 1, it talks about religion. Uh, recently when I was talking to somebody about being religious, I think I, I told you about it, that they said, you know, I, I'm not very religious. And I explained what religion actually was, pure and undefiled religion. And that's in verse 27 of chapter 1 of James. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So we have a clear indication of what God thinks, translated to us or given to us through the book of James, what God thinks about orphans and widows. They have a special place in his kingdom. And he wants them taken care of. And I I think with the orphans, they're the young orphans that cannot fend for themselves. They have nowhere to go. And, of course, the widows who have no means of support whatsoever. Back in biblical times, and I think we have to look at it through biblical cultural times. We can't look at it through our eyes today. When he was referring to the orphans, there were plenty of people back in that day and age who would be orphaned and they needed to be taken care of. And so some people, family members might take them in. They might just end up being on the street and dying uh, in the streets of Calcutta where Mother Teresa was. That's what she did. She took in orphans, children that weren't wanted, and she cared for them. And she was a blessing to them. Not that I would hold to all of her theology, but she certainly did what the Lord would want her to do. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 10, it says, Do not remove an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. For their defender is strong and he will take up their case against you. And so there seems to be a judgment associated with us maltreating or treating badly orphans who are out there. And we're supposed to be diligent in reaching out to them. Now in our country, do you know anybody who is an orphan in our country? You might, but it's very rare to have that. Usually if there is an orphan, they go into a foster care system and from there they can be adopted. But I just, this last week talked to somebody who is, has been trying for years to adopt. They already have children and they wanted to adopt another one. And they told me that they had been invested in, by the way, it fell through. They weren't able to adopt the child because the mother backed out. Uh, They were witnessing to this mother, and she ended up keeping her own child, which is probably a good thing. I I think it was a single mother, and the child was in Nebraska, and they were going to go pick up the child. I think it was this week they were going to go pick up the child, and they just found out 
two weeks ago that the mother was backing out of the adoption process. But I was told that it can cost about $20,000 to adopt a child. And I thought, are you trying to make it difficult? And that money is usually non-refundable. And they got into it to about $3,000, and they were on their way to make the final payment of up to $20,000, and they could have lost all of that if the mother backed out at the last minute. The point of this is, it's very difficult to adopt somebody, to take somebody who is an orphan and bring them under your care. Especially in the foster care system, some of the sectors of that are buying into the DEI, where you have to believe certain things. If the child starts to act out in a certain gender, you have to be willing to say, I will go with the gender that the child chooses. I will not raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You have to buy into the secular mindset in order to do that. They're just making it extremely difficult to take care of an orphan. But with that, I'm going to give you some commentary. Now, when the church first started, we were looking for an orphanage to sponsor. And we did several things. We'd go down to Arcos de los Niños, that is uh, down below Tecate. And it was an orphanage for handicapped children. And children that would be in wheelchairs, on gurneys, they needed special care, round the clock sometimes. And they ended up getting some land that was seized by the government from a drug cartel. And it was a nice bit of land. It it had a a well on it. It had a pila where you you would store the water. They ended up building this cafeteria area. And we'd go down. We'd assist putting up drywall and and, uh, just doing construction in the area to help them. We went down later. And they had a, a plan where they would build a home that would have four rooms on either side, a center living room, and then a back room for the host Uh, family, a mother and a father or um, a husband and a wife. And they would take care of the other orphans in the setup. And they were going to build several of those houses. And of course, they were mixing the concrete for the foundation right on the dirt. And it was just a big process. And we did that for several years. And I think that that was a good place. And they were setting up a bakery there to where they could bake goods in the cafeteria kitchen area and they could sell those. They were also going to start making bricks. They were going to fire some bricks in the area. And it was well run. It was a a good orphanage. They hadn't gotten many children yet. I think they just had one or two, but they were preparing to receive many more. And so we were involved in that with Calvary Chapel La Mesa for a while, and it was a good program. And then later on, we decided to get involved in some other orphanages. And there was uh, one down in a colonia down there that we would go to, and we would see the kids. And it, it seemed like it was nicely run. But come to find out uh, at Christmas time, what they would do, churches wanted to go down and they wanted to take gifts for the kids. And so they would set up a time where you would come. And during Christmas, that week of Christmas, they would have churches come from all over the country, we found out later, to this particular orphanage. And what they would do is they would get all the gifts and they would give them to the children, then they'd take them to the back and then a new church would come in and they would do the same thing and they would repeat this many times. Then they would take the toys and go sell them, is what they would do. And and then there was uh, accusations of child abuse and just problems down in these orphanages, not too far across the border. Then we made another attempt to go down and search out an orphanage that we could be involved in assisting. And we went to another one, and the kids in, in that particular orphanage, they were just starved for affection. As soon as you walked onto their little compound that they had there, they would come up and just grab you hard by the leg. They, they would want to sit on your lap. They would just want to have you hug them and, and kind of let them know everything's fine. You know, it's all good. But you can tell the kids in, in some ways they had been abused or whatever the case might be. But they just, they were acting a little bit different. And then they allowed us, because they were hoping we would start to sponsor them in some way, they allowed us to walk through uh, the orphanage and there were a couple of different buildings set on a hill and you had to go up some stairs and then there was the girls 
section and there was the boys section and some of them you walked into and the the odor was just like overcoming it it was so strong and you can imagine the smells uh, going through a place like that. And, and they had the beds, and the beds were nicely made. And the little girls that we went through first, you'd see them, and they, they looked happy to see you there. And you'd go over to the boys, and the same thing. And the boys were a little more rough and tumble, and they would want to play kickball and tetherball and things like that. And then you see where they're cooking, and they, they cooked outside. They had bags of rice that other people had donated and so we talked to them a little bit and it, it was turned out to be almost the same thing uh, some of these places where you give clothing to what one orphanage was doing was they were taking the clothing and immediately after it was donated they would take it to a thrift store that they owned and they would do that to try to gain income and they were trying to siphon the money for themselves off and you know you have to judge well is that wrong is that right is they're providing for themselves and it was always unclear to how much of an extent there was being abuse with the funds or abuse with children there were every place that we went to as far as orphanages was concerned it appeared that there had been some type of abuse or some director that was there was kicked out because of abuse issues with a director and you just you really didn't know who you could trust to take care of the orphans. And where we would go, they, they were supplied by other churches, but we just decided, you know, we, we better back off a little bit here. We're not, we should not just jump right in. We have no way of monitoring what's going on. And so even right across the border, there is that issue. And that's probably the same all around the world where you have orphanages that maybe they're overseen by some churches, but the people who run them can be some bad characters. And, and so it's really difficult for us in our day and age, how are we going to handle the orphans? You know, I uh, went to Cambodia, and we currently support an orphanage in Cambodia. And Catherine is her name. And uh, when I saw her last time we went to Cambodia, she goes, I re- kind of remember you. You know, and it, it had been years since I had been there. And she took in 12, 14 kids, and I think it was being run correctly. And they were under the auspices of uh, Calvary Chapel that was there in Cambodia, Water of Life. And they watch everything that's going on. And they're being well provided for, and those kids are growing up now. And it's a good thing. So it, it's almost like you have to trust somebody who is indigenous in one of these countries to provide for the orphans and make sure that they're being maintained properly and the kids are safe. And so it's difficult for us to do so here in the United States. But what about widows? There's a lot to be said about widows. Uh, just digressing just a little bit. If you ever get a chance to help an orphan, I would say take that chance. Whatever you could do to assist them in their lives, if there's no kind of chicanery going on, no type of deceit, if you can help somebody in that situation, a child, help them out if you can. Now, concerning widows, if you turn uh, again back over to James 127, I'll just read it again. It says, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure as faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress. And that's key in their distress. What if you had a widow that was attending church and her husband died a multimillionaire? Would you help that widow? No, we wouldn't help that widow. It, it, back in the day and age, re, remember there was a widow in the Old Testament. She was related to Ruth. What was her name? Naomi. You guys know who it was. And she basically was destitute. Her two sons died. Her husband died. And she basically was going to go back to Israel and die is what she was going to do. And of course, Ruth would not have it. She came back with her and she ended up being blessed by Ruth and Boaz, the union. And that came the lineage of King David, which came the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so there was a widow back then. And widows, they would be destitute in the land of Israel. And those who had no means of income, they were too old to work, what do you do? You're supposed to help them. You're supposed to provide for them. That is the job of the church today. Now let's read something about that. First Timothy 
chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, and I'm going to read down to verse 15. It says in verse 3, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. There again is the qualifier. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Now remember, if you have a parent or a grandparent that is a a widow, and she has no means of support, as a son or a daughter, you're never supposed to tell them, well, go to the church, they'll give you some help, won't they? It's the job of the children and grandchildren to take care of the parent now, or the grandparent. Now, if they have to decide, well, I wanted to give money to the church, but I have to take care of my grandparents, we always say in this church, and I believe it's scriptural, you take care of the grandparent. You don't worry about giving to the church. You take care of your relative. That is a commandment, I believe, from the scriptures here, as we will see. Now, it goes on. It says in verse 5, The widow who is really in need, and again, there's the qualifier, and left alone, all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions, too so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, what pronouns are used here? Masculine or feminine? Masculine. It says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever I'll tell you this is incorrect this is a bad translation and most of the translations the modern translations use the masculine pronoun here they are neuter pronouns and we don't have third person neuter pronouns in the English and some of the translations try to go to a plural Uh, pronoun there which doesn't work it's not remaining true to the translation of what is taking place now there are a couple of versions that I steer away from but because I believe they're bad translations like uh, the new NIV uh, or the revised NIV I don't like those because it will take words like man in the beginning God created man they don't like that you say man Because man, if you continue in the verse in Genesis, it actually means male and female, if you use the word man. So if you say mankind, it means male and female. Well, they don't like that language because some people get offended. And so they change the wording from man. And the word is Adam. Adam is a man. But man in that context, means man and woman. And so to try to remain politically correct, even some versions of the Bible, they take out all gendered language. And they'll even do that with God himself. God refers to him in the masculine pronoun of he, and they like to take that away because they say God is genderless. Which, if you look at the Father, he he goes by the Father. And the Holy Spirit, he, the masculine pronoun is used there. And that's what's recognized in scripture. But God is more than he. And that is true. But people today, they want to change the language because of an offense. Just keep in mind, the Bible is an offense to those who are perishing. They don't like to hear, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, everyone's a sinner. No, I'm a good person. No, you're really not a good person. Just like everybody is not a good person. We're all in the same boat and we deserve judgment and death forever, for all eternity. But God can change that. But see, if you try to remove the offense, remember that truth is offensive. It is offensive. And I went over that a couple of weeks ago. But this idea that in uh, verse 8 here of 1 Timothy chapter 3, what it simply means, it's really any one person is supposed to take care of their parents and grandparents. 
And if they don't, male or female, if they don't take care of their parents or grandparents, the widows that are there, they are worse than somebody who does not believe at all. Here's a couple of other versions, like the message. It's not a version, a, a version of the Bible that I would say, oh, you should get that one. You know, for research, you might want to get it. But for your devotions, I would say, no, don't get that one. And here's what it says. Anyone, anyone who neglects to care for family members in need repudiates the faith. That's worse than refusing to believe in the first place. I get what they're doing. It's probably a little bit better translation. Also, uh, the new NIV or today's NIV, this is what it says. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the masculine pronouns are not used there. It's just incumbent upon us as family members to take care of those who have preceded us and are indigent or they don't have any means of care. And that would include widowers too. If a widower is incapacitated, unable to care for himself, uh, the family is supposed to step in. If there is no family and there's no means of support, today people will say, well, just go get some government assistance. And I'm going to go there too with this government assistance. I think that's what most of us would say. And, of course, we're getting to the age where Social Security, you get that income. Of course, most people on Social Security get much more than was ever put into the system. And the money that is put into the system that they take out of your paycheck, that usually goes for administrative fees. There's not a lockbox that has that money. And right now we're relying on about 2.3 individuals to take care of us, where it used to be 10 to 12 individuals that would supply the needs for somebody who is on uh, SSI or Social Security income. And so what, what do we do with that? How are we supposed to look at that? Is Social Security income, is, is that bad? Is that good? What about AFDC, you know, aid to uh, dependent families with children, that type of thing? Are, are we supposed to do that? I, we'll get to that. Uh, let's go to verse 9. No widow may be put on a list of widows unless she is over 60. So, I mean, this is a definite guideline here. It says, and has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So there has to be a track record. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. Any woman that is a widow under the age of 60. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. So we have a dividing line. Widows over 60 and widows under 60. The widows over 60, they have to be really in need. They have no family to care for them. They're left all alone. There is um, a, a serious offense to not provide for your own family, uh, whether men or women. If somebody is not doing that, we know it's a serious offense. It's like you're not even a believer if you don't take care of your family. And so we're supposed to reach out to them first. And then it, if there's no one in the family, it diverts over to the church. If they are uh, rich and known for their good deeds... They have a track record of several years doing this inside the church. They have been hospitable, helping and feeding and clothing others who don't have anything. They are really a servant and a rescuer. That's the type of widow, that's the type of woman that the church would take care of. And it's incumbent upon the church to hop right in if all these criteria are met. Younger widows... They should marry if possible and have children and take care of their own households. And the danger for the younger widows, they have these sensual desires. They want a husband. They just want a man. Get them a man to help them. And I think every woman who wants a man should pray for it. And sometimes the Lord provides, sometimes he doesn't. And that is a mystery to us, why he doesn't provide that. Also, uh, the younger widows, you know, they, you don't see this about men. Are men gossipers? Well, they can be, but as a group, are they gossipers? Oh, yeah, no, 
men usually, they just, they're kind of silent. Look, give me an, I'll give you an example. If two men go fishing and they don't say a word all day in the little boat on the lake, do they get offended at each other? No. If two men wear the same shirt to a party, they have a chance of becoming lifelong friends. If two women wear the same dress to a party, <laughs> is there an offense? You know, women and men are different. And men, small talk, not so much. Fists, so much. You know, women, not fists. Women, what do they attack with? Words. They attack with words. And so if they are upset about something, they, their default position unless they are restrained by the Holy Spirit, is to talk about somebody else and what they don't like or how they were offended. Paul points this out here. Not only will they do it just one person, they'll go from house to house to make their case. And men don't, they can do that, but men don't normally do that. Men normally go, whatever, it's not my problem, it's their problem. And usually that's the end of it. And women who are instructed and led by the Holy Spirit, they can do the same thing. But the natural bent is the woman is more relational. And in that relationship, she has a tendency to communicate. And scripture says, where there are many words, sin is not absent. So that's just her tendency. And the tendency comes from a natural attribute given by God to be relational. It's just when that relationship goes south. You know, Scripture says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And so do men and women both suffer from the same thing? I think at times men do, and certain men do. But for the most part, as a sex, so to speak, the women are just more prone to it just because of their makeup, the way God created them, and then there's the fall. Just like men. Uh, men have a problem usually with anger or violence. And that's why scripture says, husbands, do not be harsh with your wives because men have a tendency to be curt with their husbands. And if women are curt with their husbands, what do the husbands normally do? Whatever. You know, and they, they just don't engage in a long conversation. They consider it tedious. You know, I, I was uh, having a conversation about uh, somebody who was thinking about ministry and they thought that they could teach, but they said, you know, it would be so tiring and tedious is helping somebody with their problems. That would, that would be, oh, that would just wear me out. But women... They usually love to do that. They want to be problem solvers. And, but men, they like to fix things and do things with their hands and rough and tumble and stuff like that. But the women, they like the relationship. It's rewarding for them. And they, they really grow when a relationship is good. And that's good. But guys, it's whatever. I can have a friend. I don't have to have a friend. It's, oh, it's okay. We, you know, guys, we get together. So that's the differences between men and women, and especially younger widows. We are cautioned about that. Now, I believe... In general, this is a universal truth. It's not always the case. Again, especially with women who are led by the Spirit. And men have their own problems too. I I could go down that road. I could just separate the two and say, these are the problems with women and these are the problems with men. We all know that we're just sinners. Paul's just making a point of that here. Now, would it benefit society if the government was not allowed to give benefits for personal living to anyone? This idea that the government has decided to usurp the authority of the church. The church is supposed to be the one, and individuals individually are supposed to be the ones to care for family members, to care for those who cannot be cared for themselves. The government devised this plan years ago, Roosevelt started it, where you would put away money in the government and they'll handle it for you and then they'll dish it back out to you as you get older. A retirement plan. Everybody goes, oh, wonderful. Well, you were taxed for that. It used to be 15.5%. I don't know what it is that the employer pays and you match that and you put that into Social Security. Well, the government said, well, it'd be good for you to have unemployment insurance too. 
So all the states, they say, well, we need to take this out of your paycheck. Uh, we're going to have state unemployment insurance. We're going to have federal unemployment insurance. And there's this disability insurance. We need to take all of this and manage it for you because you're not smart enough to manage it yourself. And we're going to take care of you. So if you become infirmed or you're left alone, you turn to whom? The government. And if the government determines your income and what you receive, you become a slave to the government. And the Lord didn't, he never wanted that. He wanted the individuals to be relational. He wanted us to care for one another. That's why the love of most grow cold during the end times is because the government becomes the great arbiter of who is deserving and who is not. And of course, there's always corruption in any government that is there. And it's getting to the point in our country where we're starting to pay more for these entitlements than we are for military and all the other spending bills that we have. And it's going to get so high, the country will eventually become bankrupt. How far down the road is that? I don't know. We'll see. I don't think it'll be tomorrow. It could be in a decade ahead, but it's all because of the entitlements. And they're called entitlements because people have this idea that I'm entitled to this money. And so they're taking what God said to do, saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're smarter as human beings. As human beings, we're going to install government to take care of all the people because the government becomes God in the eyes of the people. They're the ones that become the providers for everyone. And when this has started out to be benevolent, it means to dispose, to be disposed, to relieve the misery and increase the happiness of others. Do you think the government is able to increase the happiness of others? I don't think so. And if you think that that is possible, I think we probably have counseling available for you. It, it is not possible that the government will be able to increase your happiness. Now, the simple fact is that the actual effect of wanting to have somebody be taken care of by the government has the opposite intended effect of relieving suffering and making people happy. If someone intends to relieve misery and increase happiness, the effect most often is when basic income is provided uh, to be uh, taken care for or to be taken care of, misery is increased and happiness becomes elusive. Now, when are we not supposed to provide help as Christians? There's a time to provide help and a time not to provide help. I've mentioned this before. If you exit at the Main Street exit, have, traveling on Highway 8, if you get off in Main Street, you'll see a sign right there. It says, do not give money to panhandlers. And they're setting those up on several exits because that's where the homeless congregate. Why would the government be doing that? Because they know it's detrimental to the people and to the society. They finally bought into this idea. It's not good for you to just roll down your window and hand somebody money. Now, some people say, well, what if I hand them food? Okay. Are you helping them continue in their, in their state or are you harming them and making them stay in their state? Most people who are homeless, they, they don't want to become not homeless. They want, they, they want to remain in that state. They can get government assistance, take the drugs and repeat and recycle. They just keep on doing the same thing. Well, are we to help younger widows from Scripture? The answer is no. There's a prohibition against that. Do not help younger widows. I'm going to qualify that in a minute. In the case that those who would work and they decide not to work, they're not to be helped by anyone. Now, again, I'm going to qualify that because Scripture says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, for every, or for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. And so if somebody says, no, I don't want to work, I want to play video games all day, take some drugs and just relax around, get my money from the government and everything's going to be good and they'll provide for me a place to live too, permanently. That is the spirit of antichrist and we have to be able to call it what it is. That is evil. It is evil 
for a society to take in people who will not work, take the income from those who do work and give it to them. That is evil to do that. The world would say, no, it's compassionate. You know, they're mentally ill, they're drug addicted. Well, how did they get there in the first place? It's the government policies that encourage that, and that is evil. And we elect people with the mindset of it being compassionate, and it's actually the opposite. It is evil. It will lead to the degradation of society. The society will begin to collapse if the government comes in and says, we'll take care of everybody. We're going to give you a guaranteed basic income. I have more to say about that. Paul refused help from the church in Corinth even though he had a right to it. He didn't want to be a burden to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, it says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. So the, one of the themes you can take away from this is If you're receiving income from somebody, do they have to work twice as hard to take care of you as well when you're totally capable of taking care of yourself? We need to call this out in family members and friends. Say, get a job. You know, you, you, and of course, you don't do it like that. You don't slap them upside the head. Get a job. You know, You, you have to counsel them in such a way that you need to be responsible for yourself. There was actually a, um, a kid who was homeless here for a while. He'd hang around this area. And I would see him several times. And a couple times he came up and asked me for stuff. And he's a young guy. Totally, you look at him, he's totally capable. And I sat him down and I, and I didn't sit him down. I, I stood right there with him and I started to have a conversation. I said, what are you doing? You are a young man. You are completely capable of working. And he was coherent. He was not incoherent. And he just looked at me and he kind of put his head down. I said, you need to go out and be responsible. You need to grow up and be a man and be an adult. And I did not hammer him over his head, but I just let him know, this is what you need to do. And I would explain to him, this will be a benefit to you and everybody else around you. I saw him a few more times and he'd always hang out by the pizza place over here, Little Caesar's Pizza, just waiting out front for somebody to give him some food. You know, and I'd stop occasionally and say, what are you doing, man? You need to get off the street. You need to become responsible. And people don't want to become responsible. They want people to take care of them. That's the the default position for most of us. If the Lord is working in us, that is not the default position. The default position is take care of yourself, take care of your family, and help those who are in need. That is the default position for all of us. So we are supposed to make a distinction between those who are capable and those who are incapable. I believe that the church, and this should pertain to government as well, should never put someone on a regular stipend or income who is capable of providing for themselves. If someone is in need, there are some guidelines that we should follow in making a determination on how to help. You know what motivates all men? When I say men, I'm referring to men and women. Scripture tells us in the book of Proverbs, it's their stomach. If they start to get hungry, they will do something to fill their stomach. If they steal, that's one way. Another way is to make some money, collect it, and go buy food. And so if you let somebody get a little bit hungry, guess what they're going to do? They're going to find a way to get some food. And that's the natural course of events, according to Scripture. Now, first... Family is to work to provide for those who are in need. I mean, that's the first place you go to. When we had a home fellowship and people would come to home fellowship and there was a need there, we had this thing and we had determined it's a genuine need. We'd had this thing where we would pass a sock and then it would became like the offering bag and we'd just pass it around and somebody put some money in that and we'd give it to the person who was in need. And that's, of course, fine. That benevolence is fine. Second, if there is no family and a widow is in need, the church should help, but only if she is capable and of if she is not capable of providing for herself. We're to step in as a church. Third, if anyone asks for benevolence, error on the side of grace and not justice. 
If you don't know everything that's going on and you try to get to the bottom of why they are where they are, most people find themselves in need because of stupid choices. We make stupid choices. And we can occasionally extend grace to them. But never become a benefactor where you provide them with a regular income, regular permanent income. The exception, of course, from Scripture is widows and orphans who are genuinely in need. And ask for God's wisdom because there are so many scammers out there. Fourth, we should teach others that benevolence or giving an ongoing income is never good for those who are not truly in need. It is never good to give a regular income or subsidize somebody who is capable of taking care of themselves. The problem in our culture is we want stuff. And in order to have stuff, we need more money. You guys ever have enough money? You think about it. Could you use a little more? I don't know if there's anybody that says, no, I got plenty. What would you do if you had more? Well, I'd give some more to some other people as well as take care of You know, we do all these bargains and stuff with God. If you give me a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and share this over here or do that. And, and we could always use more. And the billionaires, do they ever think they have enough? No, they just keep on going. Look at Elon Musk. Starlink wasn't enough. The SpaceX wasn't enough. Tunneling under Los Angeles wasn't enough. I mean, he just, he just keeps... The flamethrowers are not enough. I, he just kept on, and he's still going. AI is not enough. Let's put a chip in somebody's head. You know, he, he just continues. It, he keeps on working. And that's the natural bent. But we never seem to have enough. You know, if, if God blesses you and you're able to show mercy, I think it's always okay to extend mercy. I need to keep this balanced. I don't want you to think that we are to go to anybody who could provide for themselves that isn't providing for themselves. Just get a job. Don't talk to me. That, that's not the way to handle it. And so if we're acting like that, we don't have compassion. You know, we should be able to talk with them, get into their heads, see what's going on, provide proper assistance that will help them in the future. Whether it's a widow or an orphan, we have to make an assessment about what's going on. Now, that's for the church and for us personally. Now, what about the government? Was the government ever set up? Was it intended to provide welfare and benevolence to the citizens of our country, this country? Is that how we were set up? Do you guys know who James Madison was? Do you guys know who Thomas Jefferson was? I think we're old enough to where we actually had history in school. Well, let me give you some quotes here of what they said about benevolence. It's, uh, let's see, this one is from James Madison. He wrote, now, they didn't write and speak like us a little bit different a few more words in their sentences but just listen carefully I cannot undertake to lay my finger on that article of the constitution which granted a right to congress of expending on objects of benevolence the money of their constituents translate I don't see anywhere in the constitution that authorizes the government to take taxes and give it to people who don't work That's what he said. There's another one by him. He said, the government of the United States is a definite government confined to specified objects. It is not like the state governments whose powers are more general. Charity is no part of the legislative duty of the government. And he's saying government should have nothing to do with taking tax money and providing for people as income. There's another one. Thomas Jefferson. Now, Thomas Jefferson, I I don't know if you've ever read anything by him, but he has a tendency to be a little verbose. Or There's a word that they would use back then, loquacious. That's a new word. It just means wordy. He has a tendency to be wordy. So you're going to have to really pay attention to this one. He was a smart guy too. Spoke a few languages, president. To take from one because it is thought his own industry and that of his father's has acquired too much in order to spare to others who, 
or whose fathers have not exercised equal industry and skill is to violate arbitrarily the first principle of association, the guarantee to everyone, the free exercise of his industry and the fruits acquired by it. Did you catch that? He's just saying, it is not the job of the government to tax people and give that tax money to others to provide for their welfare. How far have we gone from that? And that's on purpose. Why? To make the citizenry slaves to the government. That's why you are not allowed and will not be allowed in the future to be independent of government dictates. They will tell you what you can spend on, what you will not be able to spend on. That's where we're going with the crypto. That's where we're going with the um, online money. They will control everything that you do. And I feel for our kids and grandkids because there's going to be no way out. And eventually it's going to lead to the Antichrist where the Antichrist, you will not be able to buy or sell, not if you don't have that right credit card, but if you don't have the mark, according to Revelation chapter 13, that guarantees you the right to buy or sell. And if you take the mark, it means you worship Satan. And that's what we're supposed to avoid as believers and tell everyone else. So to take from one by taxation and give to another to sustain them is evil. The United States was never supposed to do that as a government. That was never what was to be intended. And anybody who runs for office that wants to give benefits to somebody else, never vote for them. Or call them to account, whether it's Republican or Democrat. Go up to the Republican and say, what are you doing? That was not the intention. Have you ever read James Madison or Thomas Jefferson? Have you ever read the first convention of the United States, the Constitutional Convention? And if they say no, say, I think you should go back and see the intent of the founding fathers. I think we've strayed far from that. So in our personal lives, we know how we're supposed to act. We know how the government is supposed to act. And I'm not even close to being done. And I got six minutes. Well, let me, let me summarize it here. Almost. In Finland, they had this guaranteed basic income. They tried this with 2,000 families. And this was in 2017. But you know what they found out? Was in order to meet the requirements of this program they had devised, they would have to raise income taxes by 30%. That's what will happen in our country if you start providing basic income to the poor. The taxes that everybody will have to pay are going to skyrocket. This is why the Lord said, if you will not work, you will not eat. It's for the preservation of society. The power to tax is the power to destroy. Anybody who's going to have their income taxes increased by 30%, there's a lot of people who are going to be destroyed that will not be able to undertake that increase. Now, if we do not help somebody with income all the time and we help them to become self-sufficient, we promote dignity, purpose, crime will be reduced because there's no time to commit crime because you have to work, right? And then the societal benefit will just be exponential. And that's why God has said that it's not that you're not being compassionate or trying to help somebody out. And we're supposed to practice hospitality, help those who are in need, just not perpetually. Unless there's some circumstances, there may be exceptions to this, but just as a general rule, we're not supposed to do that. So to summarize, help orphans and widows who are in need, practice hospitality, give to those who need to be refreshed. That's okay. If someone asks you for money to help them live but are capable, they are to be denied. Now, you, you might decide, well, I'm going to give them a stepping stone, and that's okay to give them a stepping stone, to work with them, to give them wisdom, to take them under your arm. But benevolence is not supposed to be something in perpetuity. Are there exceptions to this? Yes, there are. What about somebody who is incapacitated, handicapped, ill, generational poverty? What Mentally, they're not all there. And there's lots of people like that. Should we be compassionate towards them and help them because they're never going to be right? I think the first rule is mercy and compassion. If you're ever going to err, err on that side. Because God will come to us one day, will he say to us, you were too merciful. 
Oh, why did you give them all that grace? See, that's, that's how we're supposed to be. Even if we fall into error in doing so. But for those who are capable, help them and just say, nah, come on, rise up. You need to do what is right. Now, what would happen if we all of a sudden stopped these programs of the government that gives away free money? What would happen? Chaos and violence will happen. If you tell somebody, you're no longer going to get your check. It's just like a big ocean liner. How long does it take to turn a big ship on the seas? Slow. So that slowness is going to accelerate just a little bit if we hold to these beliefs that are scriptural and we teach them to others. This is our task. So may God bless you. May he give you this understanding. May your compassionate side, and by the way, the leftist Marxist would try to work on your moral insights and say, you're not being very loving if you don't help somebody like that. No, on the contrary, I'm actually helping for them to meet their demise. If I continue in that road, you don't understand the long-term effects of what's going on. And so we need to communicate that to everybody we can, resist the urge to help somebody in perpetuity, and God will bless us individually for our willingness to give, and he will also bless our society and the generations to come. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the insights of your word. And those who founded the country, they, not all of them were Bible-believing Christians like Thomas Jefferson, who is a deist, but he understood these principles that you have laid out. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us strength and stamina to stand up against these programs, these things, these ideas that would go up against your truth and help us the whole time to be compassionate and merciful and full of grace, just like you have given those things to us. And may we be like you in this endeavor, knowing what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. In Jesus' name, the church said, please stand.